In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed saying, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we We salute you. you. Guys, we honor you today for grinding it out in the stress bubble of life. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to manhood. Our goal from every episode, as you know, is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless, male-dominated bleachers, and to call you up to the best version of you, because when a man gets it, everyone wins. I'm Jim Ramos, and as you heard I'm here with my producer, co-host, and the backbone of the MCP, Dale Culver. How you doing, my brother? I'm doing great. Just uh, getting your phone working here. Oh, sweet. Well, we got to roll into a man word. Are you ready for this? Uh, yeah. Because I've been thinking about this man you word. You should get this one. You have no... I don't know, man. This is tough. You know, This topic today is tough. We're talking to men about sex, so I'm going to go with the word foreplay. I think that's a man word. I mean, men, especially these younger guys, need to learn what that word means. And so, uh, is that the word? No. <laughs> it's the, if the word is sex uh, or monogamy, we are no longer friends on Facebook. Really? Did you choose monogamy? <laughs> I you did. did not. Are you? That was so vanilla. That's the title of the book. Right. Oh man, I red thought, hot. I thought you were going to go deeper title. than that. I, no. Okay. Well, I don't want to spend a lot of time with this word because there's a reason why. So I'm just going to go with monogamy. You win. I lose. You may be right, honey. Uh, I'm just okay? trying not to go middle school on everybody okay, here. Whatever. <laughs> hey, I'm really excited about what's going on, on our Facebook forum for men, the men in the arena. Got to get our guys on there. If you haven't done that, do that. So get out there, guys. And I want to tell you something. Before I bring our guest on, I'm I am really really uh, impressed by this book that that he's written him with his wife. And sex is a major part of a man's life. It's a major part of a marriage. And as I've counseled pa- uh, uh, Christians over the years, I've realized, man, sex is a huge symptom of a deeper problem, oftentimes. And I'll actually talk about that early on in a uh, marriage counseling session, just to figure out where couples are. 
but it's really hard to find Christian books on sex. You know, everybody wants to talk about it when they're in high school. When they get married, men seem to shut down and there are no more conversations. One guy responded to my uh, Facebook post that he said, my wife and I never, ever talk about sex, ever. And I just thought, wow, that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a bummer. And so I have a 60-year-old friend who says that when he was 30, he thought of sex every 30 seconds or every three seconds. <laughs> now that he's 60, he thinks of sex every four seconds. <laughs> It's so down. That's good. So, so it's a major part of life, and, and I think it's a major struggle in regards to sin, and we just need to have this conversation. So I'm really excited to bring on my new friend, Bill Farrell. How you doing, Bill? Hi, Jim. I'm good. Hey, I have a little bone to pick with you, though. Oh, what, what is you, it? You said you don't want to spend very much time on the word foreplay. Like, <laughs> we should all want to spend a lot of time. That is true. That is true. <laughs> well, because she, she's like a crock pot and I'm like a microwave, right? Exactly. I got to right. get her up to the same temperature. Is yeah. it foreplay like rubbing her back? <laughs> rubbing Don't her back. Hairy. It's Well, Dobson said it starts with the dishes. So do the dishes, clean the house. It's, it's then you move on to the back rub, foot rub. Then Two it's minute back rub. <laughs> I spare no expense. Oh, man, I thought that Bill would kind of temper us, but I can tell he's not going to. Yeah, not on this topic. Oh, buddy. Well, so, Bill, so, so Bill's 59 years old. He lives in Oxnard, California, on a boat with his beautiful wife, Pam. Uh, they have been married on December 14th, will be 39 years, and that is my birthday. December 14th. Oh, is it really? Yes, it is. Oh, well, and we'll so, celebrate yeah. your birthday for you then. <laughs> don't do any celebratory <laughs> sex thinking of me, okay? Please don't. So anyway, hey, they've been uh, authors at conference speakers for 24 years. Together they have authored, wait for this, Dale, I'm 45 books. Their best sellers are Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti, which I hope we can get Bill on to talk about that topic later mm-hmm. on. Devotions for men on the on wait hold on devotions for men on the God, is that the right? Go. The go the oh go. the go men on the go. I have God here. So that doesn't sound right. And then red hot monogamy, which we're going to talk about today. And then the best ten decisions a man can make. Some really really exciting book titles. As far as accomplishments go, professionally they've sold one point five million books. Presented God's plan for marriage and family in eight countries. Developed a video-driven premarital curriculum for government of Singapore. <laughs> Gosh, have books translated into fifteen different languages. But Bill's best accomplishment is raising three young men who love Jesus and are pursuing God's purpose. Those sons are Brock. He's thirty-four. He's a head football coach. I'm assuming high school. Yes, high school. High school football coach in Phoenix, yep. Arizona. Married to Hannah. Has uh, grandchildren, Eden and Kalen. And Rocco, or Rocco, 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 who would name a kid Rocco, <laughs> Rocco, football coach names his kid Rocco, <laughs> anyway, Zachary, who is 32, he's the strength coach, is he the strength coach at University of Louisville? For the baseball team, yes. That is impressive, married to yeah. Kaylee, is yes. that right, Kaylee? Yeah, well done. And then you have uh, Zeke and uh, one, you have Zeke and Sutton, uh, grandchildren, Correct. Then your youngest son is Caleb, age 28. He's an engineer at, at GE Appliances, married to Jessica. We have three sons as well, so we got a lot in common, yes. man. So yes. I'm excited to get you on here. And what we're going to do first, Bill, just to warm up the juices, which I don't think we yeah. really need to that much, we're going to throw you into the rapid <laughs> fire round. There you go. So, hey, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, what I've done for you, my friend, is I've, I've, I've went with the use a word in a sentence round. So what okay. I'll do is I'll give you words that relate to your book, Red Hot Monogamy, 
And I want you to use that word in a sentence. Are you ready for this? Sure. Okay. The first word is cohabitation. When couples engage in cohabitation, they actually ruin their chances for success as marriage. So, guys, keep the anticipation alive and wait for the date. I love it. I love it. Second word, marriage. Marriage is one of the greatest gifts God ever gave. And and a popular opinion says the best sex happens outside the marriage, but studies show that the best sex happens within marriage. So if you want to have great sex for the rest of your life, invest in your marriage. And, and happiness. There's a lot. We're going to talk about that later, but that is so key, so critical. Third word, women. Women see life in a way that men never will. So we will never figure them out, and we'll always learn about life from them. Oh, that's good, man. That's a powerful statement. Fourth word, and I I apologize for throwing this word in there. I just had to. Uh, The word is monogamy. Monogamy is actually the key to a great sex life. Most people think experimentation is. But again, studies show that the more committed a couple is to building a, a sexual journey together, the more they enjoy the experience. See, and that, that is – I've known that. I've known that yeah. all my life. Uh, but I think there is a, a lie out there that speaks otherwise, and people don't understand how yeah. powerful that lie is, even regarding happiness and joy in life. And we're going to get to that later. Even health. Anyway. Well, I, got to, I got to tell you a quick story related to it, can I? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So so my wife, uh, when we started doing marriage work, I said, Pam, if we're going to do this, we've got to be guy-friendly. And what that means is we got to be funny. We have to talk about sex early and often, and we have to be practical. And she went, okay. And so we were in a very conservative church in a very conservative part of our country. And they asked us to do a marriage event, but they had it in the auditorium. So we're in the church sanctuary. And my wife says out loud, the key for a woman to have orgasm is trust. And I can guarantee you that word had never been said in that building. Because <laughs> the crowd just froze. But the more trust you build in your relationship, the more likely it is that your wife is going to engage at a higher level sexually. So would, monogamy, yeah. again, if you if you do it smart, not just, oh, we're going to be miserable together for the rest of our life, but you really invest in your marriage, the chances of you having a satisfying sex life goes way up. Well, I mean, I agree with that. I had a, a relative of mine said, I've had sex with a, a 200 women in my life, 40, 50-year-old man. I said, well, I've had sex with one woman 2,000 times. So <laughs> I've got a PhD in that woman, and you've got nothing exactly. because your experiences are in a bar, drunk, trying to please yourself, yeah. and uh, yeah. that is not what we're after. So, hey, the last word here is sex. Sex is one of the greatest ways to preach the gospel on the face of the earth. Hmm. Okay, I'm a little stunned. <laughs> unpack that one. Can you unpack that one for us? So yeah. in Ephesians chapter 5, we are told that uh, you know, we have roles for husbands and wives lined out in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5.33 says a man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her, her husband. And then Paul immediately shifts and says, this is a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. Mm-hmm. So when a husband and wife are unified... So when they're unified in their life and it leads to a satisfying sexual relationship, that couple becomes a representation of the gospel on earth. Without even saying a word, their relationship proclaims the gospel. Which is why sex is so under attack in our world, because 
our world and the enemy of our souls trying to blur the gospel by giving everybody a, a counterfeit in the sexual arena. Yeah, I was just thinking about that word counterfeit as you said it. I mean, there are so many counterfeit. Pornography is the greatest counterfeit. Uh, you know, having multiple sexual yeah. partners. These are all counterfeits to God's plan and God's way. And, and if we believe that there is a God, then his way's got to be the best way. And the Bible tells us his way is yeah. monogamous, heterosexual couples for a lifetime. Yeah. And I had one friend. And, yeah. and you know, when we say that, people tend to say, oh, that sounds boring. <laughs> but if you're investing, like you said, if our goal is to get a Ph.D. in loving this woman. Yes. Now we're on a sexual journey yes. in life. We're, we're not just putting up with the same old thing. And, and that's the that's the message that needs to get out there. When you're on a journey and your journey is for a lifetime, it, it is a it's an exciting thing. And and I jokingly tell people I I've been married to um, seven, about five different women and they're all named Pam <laughs> because about every seven years she changes a little bit, which changes our interaction. It changes the way we interact sexually, so it keeps renewing itself. And if if we weren't willing to invest in the relationship, we'd have missed out on all that. You know, that's really true. We had a guy on our podcast recently named Donald Minter, and he's out of Arizona. And he wrote a book called 30 Days to, what was it called? Paradise. Better, 30 yeah. Days to Paradise. And he talks that he's been married to his wife. for He's been married to seven women, all of <laughs> all the same one. And so that's really yeah. true. Our wives evolve through life. We evolve through life. We, You know, I, my wife married a guy with a full head of hair and a mustache. Now she's yeah. got a bald man with a hairy back. You know what I mean? So so it just, you know, it changes, right? It changes. Yeah. And so we yeah. have to morph through these seasons together. And so it's not like the same person. And the sexual journey morphs. When we were younger, it was, yeah. quite frankly, kind of pathetic. Yeah. Very, very selfish. Very, a lot of yeah. whining going on. You know, but now it's matured. And on, yeah. on my part, whining. And, and it's matured, and it's become deeper. It's become spiritual. It's become... Something that you never, if you would have told me when I was 25 years old, I would have never believed it. Right. You know, exactly. So, so hey, hey, Bill, in a, in a couple minutes here, why don't you share uh, with our audience, because I know you, I've read your book, I have a feel for you and your wife and, and your guys' take on things. But tell us your story. What about your personal life, things you enjoy, hobbies, anything else you want our listeners to gather? So, you know, the, the, the greatest discovery of my life was meeting Jesus, because I did not grow up in a Christian home. I, I grew up in a home that was, uh, it was a tough place to grow up. My, my mom was the dominant personality in my home, and I would describe my mom as a natural-born leader who's very wounded. Mm. So she grew up in a very abusive home, and she did better than her mom, but not very well. And so the home I grew up in, was it was strange, and my mom created a, a real crazy kind of logic that she raised us in. And to give you an idea of what I mean by that is even today, my mom only eats white food because she has white skin. And my mom believes that if the trash man can smell her trash, they would send authorities to her house. So she washes all of her trash and treats it with cleaner. So my mom has the best smelling trash can in North America. Whoa. Guaranteed. Whoa. And, and I came to the, and one of my mom's approaches to life was to isolate us because she didn't trust people. And so we didn't have any family friends. We didn't interact with anybody. We were just very isolated. And so I was never going to meet Jesus in conventional ways. And I was the youngest in my family. And I watched my brother and sister fight with my mom and concluded it didn't work. So I shut down. Wow. And, 
And until I met Jesus, I was just this numb, you know, guy walking around. You couldn't hurt me, but I didn't really feel any of the joys of life either. Wow. And I met Jesus because of an evangelistic film called The Exorcist. (laughs) 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 That scared me into reading the Bible. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. First John four four opened my heart. Greater is he who is in you. Yeah. Did Dale just snort? Did you uh, snort? That was. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh! Keep funny. going. So greater is he who is in you <laughs> than he who is in the world. Wow. First John four four is the verse that opened my heart. Wow. And when I met Jesus, like stuff came alive that I didn't even know existed, and and I started to discover that God, like He's got this purpose in life. He wants to run with people. He, he's into training people how to live. He's into connecting people so that they can grow, and. Because my mom was so afraid of groups of people, we weren't allowed to go to church. And my brother had come to know Christ about the same time I did. So we had heard you're supposed to study the Bible. So we started a high school Bible study like we knew what we were doing. <laughs> and it grew to 60 high school students just sharing what God was doing in their life that week. Well, now, where'd you grow and up, Bill? Where'd you grow up? In Thousand Oaks, California. Oh, did you go to Moore Park High School or where'd you go to high school? I, I went to Thousand Oaks High, but I went to Moore Park College for a year. Oh, that's too funny. Okay, continue, continue. <laughs> yeah. I'm loving this story. So so I just found a life in Jesus that I, I didn't even know existed, and it was just electrifying for me. So it was frightening the first time I heard that men tend to marry women like their moms. Like, that was frightening. <laughs> and what I discovered with my wife is, and my wife grew up in, a, in an equally dysfunctional environment, but we've been chasing Jesus now for 39 years. And what we've discovered is that if you give Jesus a chance, he He can transform anything you put in his hands. Well, like, statistically, yeah. we shouldn't be training people how to do marriage and family. And... I just recently had this this event that reminded me of the miracle that's happened. So in my family, for generations, when people get married, they break their relationship with their parents. So I never knew my dad's family. I, I can count on one hand the number of times I spent with my mom's family. And after six years old, we didn't see them at all. Wow. And I have a picture of myself, my dad, my oldest son, and my grandson at a, at a baseball game. Four generations of men in my family sitting at a game that hasn't happened for a hundred years. That's what God can do when you give him a chance. And so I've got this unyielding passion for helping people figure out how relationships work because I saw it happen for my wife and I. Man, that's powerful stuff, man. Well, you know, it's interesting. A lot of the times I will talk to guys and their big fear is, hey, I don't want to give my life to Jesus because he's going to make me less of a man. I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You will never step into your best version unless you radically, and don't just say yeah. I'm a Christian. That's like saying I'm an NRA member, I vote Republican. I, you know, don't, yeah. don't do that. But to yeah. follow Jesus, to really follow him, it will make you a better version of you than you ever could have done ever otherwise. And so just surrender yeah. now, get over your big bad self, and let God create a life of abandon in you, and yeah. you'll be the best version of you to the world. And I, I don't know why yeah. guys are so hard-headed, but you, you, I love your story, man. You're hitting the nail on the head. I'm really resonating with you right now. So, hey, let's uh, jump into your book a little bit. Okay. And uh, I want to hit this topic. We've already kind of hit it a little bit, but I want to go back and hit it one more time because it's a huge um, it's a huge issue, I think, in our culture. In your book, yeah. you say that 90% of cohabitating couples admit that their marriage is, quote, on the rocks, 90%. Yeah. 
I've also yeah. read, and I can't remember where, might have been in your book, that cohabitating couples divorce at a 70% rate, which is higher than the 50% rate of regular couples that don't cohabitate, right. which is still horrible. You also wrote on page 145 of your book that cohabitating couples, uh, that you that you tell cohabitating couples that, quote, everything changes after marriage. And I have said that same statement over and over again. Yeah. Will you address uh, in greater detail this belief in cohabitation as a, uh, uh, as it relates to the truth? Sure. And, you know, Jim, I want to start off saying to people, like it almost seems logical that when you, when you just stop and think about it, well, if we try it out first to see if it works, like, like from a logical point of view, it seems to make sense. So we don't want to be too hard on people. Yeah. It's just that marriage is, is in a world all its own. That marriage, you cannot compare marriage to any other relationship on earth because it's the only relationship on earth where you share everything. Yes. And in order to succeed, you have to do it with abandon. But there's no way to predict the future. There's no way to know what's coming 10 years down the road. There's no way to predict the success and the difficulties that you're going to face as a couple. So you have to go into it with this sense of, you know, through the storms, through the great moments, through the easy days, through the, the dumb decisions we make, I'm in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's this abandon to marriage that makes it work that you cannot imitate in a cohabiting environment. Correct. Because because the, the implication of cohabiting is we may not make it work. Like I may be here for life or I may not be. And it changes your mindset. So you're going to be cautious. You're going to hold back in some areas. You're going to act like you're not holding back, but you're still holding back. And there's this interesting thing that happens in our soul. Like there are some issues inside of us that go dormant until we say I do. That's powerful. And there are these family dynamics that run that we protect. Like when we're single or we're not tied into an intimate relationship that's going to be for a lifetime, those areas just shut down. And so we aren't aware of them. We are working on them. And when you say I do, suddenly they go live. Yep, for sure. And and I know in my wife's life, when, when I met my wife, I thought she was the most godly, most secure woman I'd ever met. Like she was <laughs> she was a bold evangelist. She would talk to anybody on her campus. She was intimidated by nobody. And I thought, what a woman. This is incredible. Yeah. We got married. And that insecurity switch just flipped. And suddenly now, like I would say, hi, honey. And she'd be like, you don't love me anymore. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And it was dramatic. Like she would, there were a couple of times she ran out of the room, threw herself on our bed and was sobbing. I'm like, what, what happened to the woman I married? Well, she had all these insecurities in her soul from an alcoholic father that didn't show until we got married. Wow. And, and I had this trigger inside of me that if a female does not make sense, I panic. Because, again, I grew up with a mom that didn't make sense. I grew up with a mom who had this weird logic that she would uh, run with. And so if I get around a woman who doesn't make sense, like I'm like, my world starts coming apart. And when my wife started reacting, it didn't make sense to me. So now we've got these two issues that are dominating the environment of our home that weren't there before we got married. And people think, well, but we live together. Well, 
living together doesn't kick it off. Yep. Saying I do for life is what kicks it off. Yep. Well, because the man, when he gets the ring on her finger, he's got that conquest done. Right. He shifts. And then for her, she gets the ring on the finger and she goes, okay, now it's time to go to work on him. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a shift. Well There's a shift. Yeah, well I remember said. I remember my wife and I, when we, we were dating, she was this rugged outdoors woman. She rode mountain bikes. She worked at a water park. She did all these things. And our honeymoon, we went to Yosemite on what we call the honeymoon from hell. And at one point, <laughs> we we're hiking Mount Hoffman, which is the highest mountain in Yosemite. And she was behind me. Of course, I was 30 yards ahead of her, you know, because I was a clueless boy. And she was like, I'm only doing this because I love you. This is so hard. I remember sitting there on my honey going, what did I just marry? She's nothing like the woman she said she was when we were dating. The switch turned on, man. And so it's not her fault. It's not my fault. Well, and it's shocking for us. But you can imagine if you have lived together for a while and then all that happens. Yes. You're even more shocked. And and that's why the divorce rate's higher. It's not that people aren't good people. It's the shock value's too high. Yeah. And, that, and they all feel like they got ripped off. That is so – I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, you know, because I think there's this – and I think you're right. They're test driving the relationship, and the very core of that is an I'm not all in attitude. And yeah. It, it is very, very tough. And, and as a Christian, I believe it goes against the Bible, but we don't even have to use that argument with people. Just say it's statistically a bad decision. Do not do it. Right, and, and and we say it because we want people to succeed. We don't say it because we want people to feel bad. Yes, correct. We want people to succeed. And it's interesting, I was just talking to a friend who ignored the advice that we're just talking about now. Uh-huh. And then he needed to talk because his living girlfriend brought a dog home. <laughs> He's like, we, we never talked about this. You have a dog? <laughs> He's like, what do I do with this now? And and he, he's kind of soft pedaling it because the commitment's not there. You oh, know, man. so it's it's hard to it's hard to work through. Oh man, I'll, I'll tell you that is so good. Well, you know, on on page sixty seven of your book, you quote research that monogamous couples have a whopping thirty percent more action between the sheets. Now, I yeah. personally think it's higher than that, but. 30% is still better than nothing. So mar- married monogamous couples have 30% more sex than singles. Uh, can you speak to why you think that is true? Well, one, I think it's obvious that when you, when you are in a marriage relationship, the trust level is higher because there's this sense of commitment. And, and as men, we need to understand this this environment of commitment is vital to our wives. Like we, As much as we want women to be like us, like most guys think that when they get married, they're marrying a buddy that looks way better than all of his guy friends. And it's not, it's not the case. Like she's a woman and she thrives on commitment. She thrives where there's trust. She thrives where she knows things are secure. Yes. And see, as men, we don't speak that language. Correct. Like if I were to ask you guys, Hey guys, are you feeling safe today? You'd be like, what a dumb question. Yes. You know, like we know safety is somewhere on the list because you can't live your adventure if you're dead. Well, I have my support pet, so I feel safe. My emotional support <laughs> pet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and yet it is the question of the day for our wives. Mm-hmm. And when you create an environment where you say, I'm here, I'm in, and I'm not passively here. I'm here to figure out how to love you. She's going to be attracted to you more often, and you're going to enjoy each other in your bedroom. 
Now, if you take that component out of the environment, then women are just not going to be as responsive. And you can fake it all you want. You can say, well, well, if I spend money on her, if I take her here, if I treat her nice, she's going to be interested. Well, once she realizes you're not committed, she's going to lose the interest. It's just the way women are wired. And so when men are willing to say, I'm in and I'm committed and I'm, I'm marrying you because I want to do this with you for the rest of your life, there is this, uh, this willingness that arises in our wife's life. Plus, there's, there's spiritual encouragement. Like yes. If you're praying together with your wife, if you're going to church together with your wife, if you're doing anything to grow spiritually with your wife, then God is whispering in your wife's ear, hey, have you seen that man you married? He's amazing. He's godly. He's, you should like, you should spend more time with him. And, wow, you, you did good. And, and God's feeding her soul with interest for you. And so that's why all the statistics say, People who are married, people who go to church together, people who are involved in small groups that support marriage, they have more sex and enjoy it more. Well, you know, that's really good because you're talking, you said feeding her soul. You know, Dave Ramsey talks about women having this gland that a man doesn't have called the yeah. security gland, right? And yep. and that security gland flares up constantly and we can do everything right and still have a wonderful, vibrant sex life. I'm hearing you say this. But when we are feeding her soul, praying with her, reading the Bible to her, going to church with her, when you begin to invest in your wife's soul, I know for me, when I am really invested in her soul, I'll tell you what, it changes the sheets game. Yeah, she gets interested in your body. (laughs) Suddenly the big hairy guy becomes attractive, yeah. Yeah. So, no, that's really good, man. I love it. And let me just jump in because we're understating it at the moment. Yeah. Okay, this this need for security and, and the way I like to describe it is every day of her life, your wife asks the question, Is it safe to be who I am today around you? Wow. Because her life's always changing. And she wants that question answered as often as we would like to have sex. <laughs> oh. It's not this you know, it's not this calm little need in her life. It is the one driving need in her life that's always asking for attention. Yeah. And, and if we'll clue into that and start aggressively saying, hey, you're safe with me. I, I don't care how unreasonable you are today. You're safe with me. Yeah. And you might be really emotional today. You're safe with me. You're grumpy today. You're safe with me. Yeah. You look great today. You're safe with me. You don't look so great today. You're safe with me. If we can get used to that message, we're going to be very glad we did. And making her feel, you know, my wife had an emergency surgery in Cabo San Lucas about a month ago. And so I uh-huh. flew down there. So now she's got this. She's probably angry I'm sharing this. She's got this, she's got a scar, right? Yeah. She's got a scar yeah. like a C section. And so my new mantra has been, oh my gosh, I love that scar. It's the most beautiful well scar I've ever seen because it says you're seasoned. It says you've been through well stuff. Done. I love that scar. That scar is sexy because she's asking the question inside of her Am I beautiful? Am I pretty? Yeah. Is this a deformed? You know, yeah. and so we have to continue. Hey, your hair, you're beautiful. Your eyes are beautiful. I love you. I'm here. I'm committed. And it never stops. It never stops. Well, and as men, we want to do the transaction. Like yeah. We want to sit down with our wives and say, okay, what do I have to do to settle this? Yes. And anytime men say that to me, I tell them, I go, okay, listen, what if your wife does that to you? What if she came to you and said, hey, look, I want to set aside a weekend I want us to have the greatest sex of our life. I want us to do anything we've ever imagined sexually and just get after it for the whole weekend and then be done. 
Like, no, man, I know signing up for that deal. No, yeah, that's good. That's <laughs> and good. And so we want to we wanna respect our wives and take this need seriously and train ourselves to address it over and over and over and over again and see it as a stewardship from God that he's given us. Yeah, and I find the times when, I mean, all, all I have is to go on is my wife and my marriage. The times when our marriage struggles physically, sexually, are the times when I've neglected her emotionally. Yeah. You know, I've, I have, I have because of work, because I've been, maybe distance, whatever it is, yeah. there's been a separation there, or maybe I forgot to tell her the things I need to tell her. And this is when things get distanced. And so that's really good. Yeah. It's a great reminder, man. Hey, and, and to, to help men, cause I know a lot of men are like, uh, I, I don't know what, I don't even know where to start. Um, I put together a phone app called her best friend. And all it is, is one idea a day that comes to your phone on how to do the stuff we're talking about. And what I tell men is if you like the idea, do it. If you don't, just let it go because another one's coming tomorrow. And it gives it gives men a starting point on how to address this need. So you have a smartphone app called Her, yes. best, Her best Friend. Friend. Is it a free app? Is there a cost? Yes, free app. <clears throat> so we'd be ridiculous to not go do that right now. Dale's doing it as we speak. <laughs> and he's doing it on my phone. So thank you, Dale. <laughs> thank you, Dale. So anyway, hey, so we're going to take a short break. Uh, Bill, and hear from our sponsor. We'll be right back at you. The Man Card Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that's building an army of men who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts and every man in the arena matters. So get in the game by joining our closed Facebook forum for men called The Men in the Arena. There, you'll lock arms with men from all around the world who are stepping up as their best version. What is a man? What does he do? How does he live? When does he know when he's crossed over from male to man? The lines defining manhood have become blurred, and guys today are more confused than ever. That's why I wrote the man card, five characteristics separating men from boys. Guys, you're going to love this book. Go to the Great Unforgot app or mancardpodcast.com and pick up a copy today. No book written defines manhood in such a way as this. I'll put the man card next to any book ever written on the topic. Yes, I believe it's that good. In the man card, I expose several myths of manhood and draw a line in the sand between men and males. This book will change your life. Guys, thank you so much for jumping into the arena with us today and championing the greatest battle of our time. Become your best version. Join the fight to change your world because when you get it, everyone wins. All right, man, here we are. So I had a godly man on my podcast a while back, Christian guy, and his view of sex, he has like 13 kids. His view of sex is it's for procreation only. Now, I, I argued against that. I believe it is more than that. And in your book on page 17, you laid out a great argument, many reasons actually for sex. Do you want to lay some of those out off your memory for us? Sure. It's very clear in the Bible that there's numerous reasons to engage sexually as a married couple. And and some of them, I, I think, are bolder than any of us would come up with on our own. Yeah. Like in, in 1 Corinthians 7, um, we are told that sexual activity actually fights temptation, and it's part of our spiritual rejuvenation process. Agreed. Because in 1 Corinthians 7, we're told... Don't deprive each other except yep. for a time and for the purpose of prayer. And, you know, that sounds very spiritual, which it is. Like at times we need to disengage from the everyday affairs of life 
and focus our spiritual life. But then the passage says, and then immediately come back together lest you be tempted by the devil. Yes. So the implication is as you increase your passion for God, God increases your passion for your spouse. And if you don't re-engage sexually, you actually open yourself up for temptation. And then there's there's another very interesting passage in, in Genesis dealing with uh, with Isaac and Rebekah. You know, I, I, they, they were traveling through the, the kingdom of King Abimelech. Yeah. And Isaac had seen his dad pull a trick that had worked, where he told the king that Sarah was his sister, and it saved their lives. So he decided to do the same thing with Rebecca. And he said, hey, Rebecca's my sister, thinking that would protect both of them. Yeah. But then he couldn't resist. So he was engaged in foreplay with Rebecca, and the king looked down from a window and saw it happening <laughs> – and he said that the, the word that the King James uses is Isaac was sporting with Rebecca, his wife. <laughs> <laughs> and the king looked down and said, whoa, that is not his sister that <laughs> he's yeah. engaging with. Yes. So sometimes sex is just there for the fun of it, to help relieve stress in life and to remind you that we've got a good thing going here. And the most dramatic one we already made reference to is that our sexual life with our wives is part of our evangelistic lifestyle. Yeah. That when, when we are unified, Ephesians 5 makes it very clear that we are proclaiming the gospel when we are unified with our wives. And it's the only relationship in the, laid out in the Bible that says it's a reflection of the most important message on the face of the earth. Yes. And so, again, it's no surprise that sex is under attack, that everybody has an explanation for it, that the world we live in is giving us a picture that doesn't work because they don't want the gospel to be clear. And those of us who are godly men, if we want our lives to be clear representations of the message of hope through the cross, we're going to love our wives. Yeah, that's good, man. Well, and I, I'm going to, I always get people fall out on this one, but you know, sex speaks of the goodness of God and his great love for us, I think of the clitoris. Yep. There's no other purpose for that body part other than pleasure. Right. That's the only reason it's there. There's the only reason yeah. it serves. And so why would God do that? In your book, you said yeah. you could remove a finger and, re- and, and create children. You know, right. God could have done anything, but he created this wonderful, yeah. amazing, pleasurable event, and yeah. he's given us the, the neurology and the, the physical components to make this a... a uh, unreal event, orgasmic right. event, and right. uh, there's no other reason for it. But God, in His goodness and His great love for us, wants us to enjoy this woman who is a gospel res- representation to the world. Well, and and all of the important spiritual disciplines are, are enhanced when you become a good lover. So, for instance, we're supposed to seek God. You know, we're supposed to be in a pursuit of God. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're going to have a great relationship with your wife, you have to pursue her. Yes. You can't just walk in the door and say, I'm here. <laughs> you have to pursue her. So it teaches you the art of pursuit. We, we also are said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, become the servant of all. Yes. Well, to have a great sex life, you have to be a servant to one another. So it teaches you how to, to serve. We're called into an intimate relationship with God where we want God to search our heart and find all the ways in our life that are not good and lead us in a path of life. Well, that intimacy, like there's no more intimate act 
than engaging in a sexual activity with your wife. So it teaches you how to be yielded and intimate and vulnerable, which are all important in our relationship with God. Well, in fact, so, the Greek word to know, ginosko, that that word is to be on the most intimate level, like with your wife making love. But that's the word that God uses for Him wanting to know us. Yeah, on the deepest level. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it again, it's it's all part of the plan, and we get weird about it because we don't know how to talk about it in public. So we get you know we get all weird and embarrassed about it. But in reality, it it helps us learn how to be the spiritual people we want to be. That's really good, man. I really appreciate that. So, um, so we have usually our audience is almost all men, but because okay. we're going live today, we've got a lot of women listening online. Yeah. And so yeah. I just want you to take a moment and and I want you to address the women. And as a man, as an author, as a speaker, as a Christian man, what do you want to tell our women listening about sex, their husband, and how it relates to marriage? So just a small question just and we a, wrap up. It's a loaded, seconds, loaded. Right? well, I just want to give something to the women here so they can go, what, what do I need to know in my marriage that my husband needs? What do I need to know about my husband and, and sex? Because so a lot of couples will talk always, about it. Well, first thing I say to ladies is thanks for listening in. It's always interesting to me. It's way easier to get ladies interested in a discussion that's for men than it is to get men interested in a discussion that's for women. So yes, thanks yes, for yes. jumping in and thanks for being interested and, and I would say that your husband is really, like in his heart, he's hoping for two things. One, he's hoping that you think he's a hero. True. Now, now we know. We know we're kind of goofballs. We know that we make mistakes. We know we fall short. We know that we say things sometimes that we shouldn't say. Like, we know that. We're just hoping that somebody on earth believes that underneath all that there's a hero waiting to emerge mm. and if and if you are that person in our life we, we are drawn to you over and over and over again we don't always know how to say it we don't always know how to show you but if if you believe in us that, that it does something in our heart that we're almost afraid to admit like i i there are times in my life where from an outward perspective i i was not succeeding like i knew i could or should and in those times, Pam has come up to me and just said, Bill, I believe in you, and I'm on your team. And there is a transformation that takes place inside when she said, I, like, I just become a better man um, because I know she believes in me. So that's the first thing. Second thing is we are desperately hoping that you are cultivating an interest in having sex with us. Because, again, we know at times we're impatient. We know at times we're whiny and grumpy, but we have this—we have this biological mandate in our bodies to have sex that it, it gets the better of us. Like if, if we don't have the opportunity to release sexually on a regular basis, we just like we get we get anxious and frustrated, and we we have this inner conversation telling ourselves, you know, calm down, you're better than this, you're more mature than this, and at the same time, it's like it's just knocking on our head, yeah. and. And again, we're we want to be good with with uh, man, you know managing this, but if we know that you are cultivating an interest because you don't have that same mandate, we we get that. So the interest needs to be cultivated on your part. 
Mm. And if you're cultivating that interest, we will be forever grateful that you do that. And I would also say to you, if your husband is bold enough to be willing to talk to you about your sex life, go run away from it. Like we're, yes. It's embarrassing. Yes. But I, I would say the reason why Pam and I are still interested in each other is every year on our anniversary, we have a discussion about our sex life. And it's that wow. discussion about, okay, so what did we do that like was really awkward? You don't really ever want to do again. And what do we do that we just love? And is there any uh, new way of interacting you want to try? And what do you love that we do that, you know, it's just, it's part of that foundational part of our life that we just want to keep doing. And how are things changing with you? Because, you know, unfortunately over time, things do change. Yeah. <laughs> and as men, it's kind of shocking because, you know, it goes and goes and goes, doesn't change, doesn't change, doesn't change. And then suddenly it starts to change. And yeah. We don't really know what to do with that. So, <laughs> so yeah, we won't get if, into if that here. The conversation <laughs> engage. Well, and she changes too. We both change. Yeah. It's a, it's a interesting. And I think it happens around 50. Yeah. It's I mean, if, if we're going to pick an age, that's a good age to choose, but it, it's different for each couple, but yep. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, that's but, interesting. Well, so I'm going to just reiterate what you said to tell the women, make sure that she's articulating. She believes in him. We're going to have Emerson Egerix on, and he talks about respect yeah. that, that she respects him. You know, when my, when we launched the great hunt for God, my marriage shot off like a rocket ship in one sentence. My wife said, I have trusted you. We were getting ready to quit our job and start some new venture in a bad economy. And my wife said, I have trusted you for 20 years and you've never let me down and I'll trust you. When she said that, she became a rock star in my life. Our yep. marriage shot up to a whole other level and has stayed there. Yep. Because I yep. look at my wife and go, man, to trust her husband like that, that was ruthless on her yeah. part, to trust me. Ruthless yeah. trust. And then yeah. and then cultivate this idea of sex. We we want to we you know, part of that respect for a man is will you envelop me? Will you will do I have what it takes for you? Will you know am I appealing to you as a man? And I think those are really good. So what would you say then, Bill? Okay. To okay. Those, Before we move on yep. from this, yes. Can can I ask you all a question that I've been looking for an answer for, and maybe your audience will come up with one. Okay. Okay, so as men, we are all hoping that we are going to be married to a woman who is very interested in, in a sexual relationship with us. <laughs> we, we want her to be responsive to our advances. We want her to initiate at times. We want her to be open about the conversation, and we want her to see this as a good thing. So for for people who are raising daughters – how do we teach daughters to develop a healthy interest in sex without ruining their innocence or interrupting their relationship with God? Do tell. Well, he's got three boys and so do I, so I'm out. <laughs> and I have three daughters. Well, I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you what I think. You know, um, and as a youth pastor, what I would say to, to these young gals, because we would address sex uh, every year biblical, yeah. from a biblical perspective, I would say yeah. you are worthy you are enough, you are beautiful, there is somebody out there for you, and you need to know these things about yourself, and you make them pursue you, and you that you just become the kind of person who has the confidence that you are drawing that man to pursue you. You, you, you know, my wife is, is a master yeah. at, at, at causing me to pursue her with her beauty and with her attitude. And so become this woman who, ha I, I personally think women are weaker than they've ever been. Mark Gunger would agree with that in his book. 
They are weaker than they've ever been. They spread their legs for anybody. They want to gain yeah. the acceptance from a man by sex. And I think that's yeah. I think that's pathetic and weak. And men are just as weak. But a woman needs to have the confidence in her in Christ that she is worthy of being pursued. She is beautiful. And that, yeah, it, that's what I would say. And I don't have daughters, though. Right. But that's what I would. That's so, what I've told them. So, so a friend of mine that's raising a couple of daughters, he has added to that conversation. He, he and his wife both. That as you're doing this, remember that there's one man on earth who will have husband privileges. Yep. And you want to reserve those husband privileges for the right man. That's good. So it plants the thought in their head. Oh, there's this other thing that I'm not going to do with these boys. But there's a man coming that I'm going to do other things with. Well, what I t- and what I tell boy young boys, or I told my sons, that girl you're dating is somebody else's wife. Yeah. And guess what? Your wife is dating some other dude right now. And what do you want that dude doing to your wife right now? Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you should do a little golden rule here. Yeah. <laughs> Think that one through, and, buddy. <laughs> and I would add to that when I was doing youth work. I would add to that if I caught you messing around in the bushes with my wife. I would beat you to a pulp in Jesus' name. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, so leave her alone. Play the play long ball, boys. See the big picture. So Amen. now that's so so what do you say to uh, the guy listening right now who says, you know what, I just I, I hear what you're saying about I want my wife to pursue me for sex and I want her to be ready for me, but quite frankly, I'm not a tra- I don't want to have sex with my wife. I mean, there are guys out there like that. I run into them a lot that uh, that they're struggling. Their sex life. A lot of couples right now. They're really struggling. What yeah. advice would you give them? Well, it, it, it's a. Uh, I, I, at the risk of oversimplifying this, because the the question may have lots of foundational issues to it. Yes. Yes. So let me assume for a moment that the question we're answering is we we've just kind of gotten bored with each other, or the stress of life has gotten in our way. That there's no. There's no big abuse issue in the past. There, there's no, you know, huge violation that's taken place. This is just kind of the, you know, the question about the stress of life has gotten in our way. Yeah. The, the first thing I would say to them is that interest in another person is cultivated. It's not magical. You cultivate. It. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to get back on track with your wife, you start the things that cultivate love. So you start dating again. And you actually put it in your calendar that we are going to reserve this time. And it's like a business appointment. It's not, I'm, I, I'm not putting on it. If it works out, we'll do this. It's I have an appointment with you and we are going to go enjoy each other mm-hmm. and be really smart about it. Like I, I know that in a, a typical marriage, um, you need to spend significant time together. And if you're a high achieving couple, you need to be even more deliberate about it. So, once a month, you should have a day that has enough time that it shrinks her world back down. Because because most women, they, they accumulate the people and the issues around them because they're connectors. So they're connecting to everybody. They're connecting to everybody's issues. And their life grows in their mind and in their heart. And the bigger her life gets, the smaller you are in her, in her perspective. Ooh. So if you get her away from your life... And you spend six to eight hours together that's just focused on you guys, not what needs to be done, not the yard work, not the kids, not the grandkids, not the, the business. It's just you guys get away and go, whether it's at the mall or the park or go ride a bicycle or go to the beach, 
somewhere along the way, her life shrinks back down and she looks at you differently. Mm. But you're going to have to do that deliberately. So that's the first thing I would say is start dating again. The second thing I would say is start complimenting her. Yes. Because what happens, it's a very interesting verse in Philippians 1, 7. Paul was writing to the Philippian church and he said, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. And when you carry your wife in your heart, you see her differently. If you disconnect the hearts, you start evaluating each other based on behavior. Mm. And the problem at that point is none of us behave well enough, long enough to meet each other's expectations. So if you deliberately start complimenting her, it starts to move you away from behavior. It starts to reconnect your hearts. And I can guarantee you that your wife has some incredible traits about her or you wouldn't have married her. But those things have turned into irritations. Mm -hmm. So for instance, my wife's, she has strong convictions, which is very attractive. But if our life becomes defined by all the stress, all of those convictions turn into evaluations of me. Mm. And then I don't like them. So if I can turn them back around and, and remember, oh, I've, I've got an incredibly committed wife. And when you verbalize it, it moves your heart. And the thing I wish somebody had told me earlier in life is that our emotions always follow our decisions. Yes. So if you decide you're going to start investing in your wife, I, I'm going to start pointing out her beauty. I'm going to start pointing out her strength. I'm going to start pointing out the value that she has brought to our family. And I'm going to date her like she's the woman I was pursuing when we were young. Those decisions will open up your emotional connection to her and will start to draw you to her. So it, it's a very deliberate process. And unfortunately, we live in a world that tells you it's magic. You're supposed to walk in a room, see her and go, oh, and the reality is it's something you cultivate. Well, what we tell people, the greatest lie of Hollywood is you fall in love and live happily ever happily after. Ever, yeah. That is such That's a crock of garbage because what you really do is you rise into love. Now, I yeah. realize there's a little lustful yeah. three or four weeks or five months there that's highly sure. emotional, but at the end of the day, something's got to happen, and it starts with a decision. I love your statement. You said, "Our." I want to repeat it, our emotions always follow our decisions. The decision yeah. to be all in, the decision to get married, the decision to rise into love instead of trying to hold on right. to this lie that you fall in love and live happily ever after. Just, I mean, look at all these Hollywood couples that do that, and they're all divorced. They're all divorced. Right. It doesn't right, work. They're all acting. It does. They're all. It doesn't work. You got to fight for it. You got to rise into yeah. it. And so, oh, man, I really appreciate that. I do want to put a little, a, a little advertisement in for your book, Red Hot Monogamy. In your book, you. after each chapter, this book was so easy to read, and it's worth reading just to hear Pam. And some of the things she says, I'm like, wow, that's yeah, candid. She's awesome. That's yeah. candid. Uh, you know, wow, I've never. That's really, you know, that's great. But after every chapter, you have a list of dating tips, and you literally, at the end of the book, you have a total of 200 tips. And I start a bunch yeah. off, and in the book, I said, do this with Shanna, do this with Shanna, do this with Shanna, and it just really stimulates ideas. Because a lot of us guys, let's be honest, we're, we're kind of knuckleheads sometimes. We don't. Amen. We want. We want to do the right thing. We're like, somebody just tell me what to do. Yeah. Will you give me an app that tells me what to do? Yes, we did that. Yeah. <laughs> so well, and the the book is eight chapters long, because each chapter is a study of a chapter in the Song of Solomon. 
And the Song of Solomon is all about, it's a manual in the Bible about how to have an intimate relationship. Yeah. And we, we put 200 ideas, we call them hands-on homework, you know, yes. homework you like to do. Yeah. And the reason why we put 200 is we want people to read the book with a, a highlighter and a Sharpie. So if you like the idea, highlight it. If the idea is just too much for you, feel free to just Sharpie it out. Because yeah. this is your, it's your book, it's your sex life. And one of the messages we're trying to get across is that every marriage is unique and the way you express love to each other is part of the uniqueness of your marriage. And there's very little in the Bible that's, that's told us of what's appropriate and not appropriate in sex between a husband and a wife, which is a little surprising. Yes. If you think about how much pain has been created by sex, you would think God would give a long list of this is appropriate and this is not. Yes. Well, God didn't do that because he wants sex to be a relational decision between a husband and a wife. And that's why we put the ideas in the book so that as a husband and wife, you can say, well, do you like this one? you like this one? You like?" And now that you're talking about it and deciding together, and remember, our emotions follow our decisions. So anything you decide to do together as a couple draws you together emotionally, enhances the experience. That's really this is so good, man. We're running out of time, but I want to keep going. I almost want to do a two parter here, but so so uh, here's the question that all the guys are wanting to know. Well, actually, just this guy. But so how much? So a married couple. I've been married 26 years. You're at 39 years. Dale and Heather, you've been together 20 mm-hmm. 20 years. So how much sex is healthy? Like when you look at a healthy, and I know all couples are different, but how much sex a month? Let's do a month. How much sex a month would you say is is a, a minimum monthly lovemaking sessions for a healthy couple. Less than that, you start kind of going, okay, is there an issue? What's going on here? So before I answer the question, let me say it depends. Yeah. Because cause it, this, it, it comes in seasons. So there are seasons of your life where life is relatively free and easy, and in those free and easy times, if you're not having sex often, something's up with the relationship. Vacation sex. Because God, God has desired I – mean, God's designed men – to be on a three to four day rhythm. Yes. And so that would lend itself to anywhere from six to eight times a month. If you're just following that. So when life is free and easy and things are relatively relaxed, that would be a healthy rhythm. There are other times when life just gets really intense and it's hard to find time. And so you may decide to go a season where you're not as sexually active as you were. The key is it should be a decision. You don't want it to happen accidentally, and you know, like right after the birth of a child, like your wife's probably not going to be interested like right away. Yeah, you know, let's get after it. But you've got this treasure in your life, so you have to decide what are we going to do with our sex life during this time. Also, when your kids are really little, like my middle son right now is in the beauty of sleep deprivation. Oh, baby, payback <laughs> and, is a you know, bear. You know, it used to be that when they said, "Hey, you want to take a nap?" Yeah, that meant let's rendezvous. Now it means. Can we just take a nap? Because <laughs> we're exhausted. So the key to it is to to again don't let it don't let it become a performance. Don't say you know we have to have sex once a week or five times a month or it's not working well. You want to decide in every season. And again, if if things are free and easy, once or twice a week is going to be normal for a couple. Yeah. And, and But when things get stressful or you're starting a new big venture or your kids are at a stage in life where they're needing lots of extra activity or you're fighting a health issue, it's okay to look at each other and say, hey, we're going to dial it back 
but we're deciding to do this. Yep. We're not just letting it happen. Yeah, that was Shanna with her surgery. We we're like, well, we need to give this some time. Because yeah. I don't want to, you know, I don't want her to injure, re-injure her, you know. So we've had, you know, we've had to give that some time. And I think there are seasons, and I think the menstrual cycle throws a week in there that we weren't, we weren't expect, you know, we know it's there, you know, but you know, so it throws a like a, every, you know, three weeks there's a week there, and so. And and again, Jim, the you know, the the beauty of young sex is it's kind of athletic. Yeah. You know, you're just like, oh, wow. <laughs> well, the the beauty of long term sex is a couple decides what they're going to do with it. Yeah. And it's the decision that keeps the intimacy alive. And, and that's why I, I, I'm just a big advocate for, they, don't sit back and evaluate each other in silence. Schedule time to talk about your sex life and be bold. You know, ask each other, what do you like? How do you want to adjust our sex life during the next season of life? And what do you want our sex life to look like in this season of life? And do it without judgment. Yeah. You know, if you hear something you don't like, don't don't react. Just say, can I digest that? And can we come back and talk about it again? Hmm. Because the more you talk about your sex life, the more you will enjoy your sex life. Wow. Yeah. But we tend to get irritated and we stop talking. Well, and, and so be bold. That's really when you said and I like what you say. You said it's a decision that you make. Now, in your book, uh, your wife wrote. Bill and I have made it a goal to not say no. That doesn't mean we never beg off or ask for a rain check, but we try not to. Can you address that with couples and their decision-making about lovemaking? Well, again, if you're you're committed to following God's plan, like like the only woman on earth I'm having sex with is Pam. So if... If she and I desire each other, so whether it's her desiring me or me desire, if we say no to each other, there's no other option. Yeah. And so for the sake of our well-being, for the sake of not embarrassing each other, for the sake of saying, I respect your desires. Your desires are different than mine, but I respect your desires. It's going to be my goal to say yes to you every time I possibly can. Mm. And if there's a legitimate reason... You know, for saying no, I'm going to respect that. But the goal is to always say yes, because this is something we can only give to one another. Like Pam used to be fond of saying, she's the only person in the church that can make love to the pastor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, well, you know, one, of my gr- one of my greatest moments, she, had been, she came back from a women's retreat, and we were having an evening service, and she... She had arranged for the kids to stay at a friend's house. She walked up to me as I was walking on the platform and gave me a note. And I thought it was an announcement I'm supposed to read to the congregation. It was a list of places we had made love that we really enjoyed with an invitation to come away that night. I preached the shortest sermon I've ever delivered that night. I just have one closing thought as an introduction. Oh man, why well, love because it? Because there's I, something, there's something really powerful that happens when you know somebody on earth desires you. Well, and I was going to say, even if it's imperfect, yeah, even if it comes across awkwardly, the fact that I desire you is an incredible compliment. There's a beauty and, in that. Yeah, and I didn't want, I didn't want Pam to ever stop saying I desire you. And fortunately, she didn't want me to ever stop saying it either. 
And so one of the simple ways to do that was if it wasn't my idea, I'm going to, I'm going to say yes, unless for some reason I can't. Yeah, that's good. Well, I have two last questions. We got to wrap it up here to honor your time. Your book is called Red Hot Monogamy. So how how we're going to go back to the men here. It's really easy for a woman to make a man red hot. She just says, I want you. (laughs) But but for a man, it's a little different. How does a man make sure the sex is red hot? What advice do you want to give our men in the arena about taking care of their woman and keeping that red hot relationship? So the thing we men need to realize is that for our wives, it's not primarily physical. Hmm. For us, it is. Like we see it as a physical thing, and when when it's done, we're like, oh. for our wives, it's an issue of the heart. So if we can reach her heart, that, that's why conversation matters to her. It's why foreplay matters to her. It's why when you're patient and you love making it matters to her, because you're telling her, I value you at the level of your heart. Yes. So so learning the skills of praying for her. Like, like if you if you take a moment, you just stop and you put your hands on her shoulder and you just start praying for her, like thanking God for all the great qualities of her life. When when you have time to set an environment that helps her relax and and you look her in the eyes and say, hey, what's on your heart right now? Like, what would you like to talk about? And you just take the conversation anywhere she wants it to go. I, I tell men it's like it's like recreational conversation that you and I always think there's a point to the conversation and we're looking for the point and we're going to get to the bottom line. Well, for her conversation is like taking a walk. We're just kind of going through life together. Yeah. If we learn to be patient on those things and, and our goal is to reach her heart, she will develop a desire to give her, give us her body. If you ignore the heart and just make it physical, she doesn't respond. Mm. So again, it's a big challenge for us as men because we we just want to we want to make it physical. We want to be good at it, done, moving on. Well, and I would add that this bill, and once she has, by your words, given you her given you her body, and you've enabled you've been able to enjoy her body, and 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 you have been able to climax and orgasm together, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, she wants to know I wasn't an object. Yeah. She don't get up and walk away. That's your time to cuddle and snuggle and continue to whisper yeah. that you love her because she the insecurity flares up. She has just given you everything and been completely right. vulnerable to you. Right. So don't walk and, away. And, and, and but we want to and we want to see the beauty in it. Like she has the part of the image of God that we don't have. Yes. And that part of the image of God that wants to be adored and cherished and valued, she got that in spades. Yep. And, and we want to feed into that. And if you do, your sex life will continue. <laughs> like I, I tell young guys all the time, like my goal in life was not to have great sex as a young man. My goal was to have great sex for a lifetime. Yeah. yeah. And I hope that's your goal too. And the way you, you get there is you learn to cultivate this need that she has to be adored and cherished and valued. And if we get good at that, we're going to find out that sex stays good for a long time. Yeah, it gets better. And if we ignore it, we're going to find out that she's really struggling and it's it's a hard one. Yeah, that's good, man. And and actually, the sex doesn't stay good for a long time. It gets better over time. Yeah, 
Amen, brother. Yeah, it gets more intimate. It get, yeah. it goes beyond the it goes beyond it transcends the things that we thought about when we were young guys. And so, man, yeah. that's so good, man. I hey, one last question here. Here are men in the arena define manhood as five things: protecting. Okay. Before we go there, yes. can I throw one thing in? Absolutely. Because again, we're we're talking with men. We need to start this conversation young. Yes. Like 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 we as men, we need to be talking to junior high boys and high school boys and we need to be bold oh absolutely one of my pet peeves is men who are afraid to talk to their sons and grandsons about sex like we need to get after it yeah and and we need to we need to speak their language and because you and i have raised sons but like i I really kind of camp out on this one with the boys like i used to tell my boys when they were teenagers um hey guys this thursday um you might want to turn your radios up or go see a movie because mom and i are going to have a lot of fun and we don't want to embarrass you because <laughs> i wanted my boys to know if i have questions about sex i can come talk to my dad yeah and and i would talk with him but hey so so what are the guys calling sex that you're hanging out with and and i would throw a couple slang terms out to let them know hey we gotta talk about this and i started early asking them questions like hey guys do you you want to have a great sex life for the rest of your life, or are you just hoping to, you know, have a couple of great moments? Yeah. And and if you want to know how to have a great sex life for the lifetime, like here's how you do it. And and we got to talk to our, our young men because they got these powerful engines running in their life, and they have all this passion. Oh, they don't know what to do with it. And, and, and you know, when my dad talked to me about sex, it was one book from the library that he handed me, and his hands were shaking. And I was like, well, I'm not going to talk to my dad about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm tired. I'm tired of guys telling their sons, hey, look, sex is bad. Just don't do it. It's not the case. Sex is powerful and it's awesome. Yes. So we need, we need to learn how to drive that part of our life in a way that it works forever. Yeah. So as men, we got to step up and talk to the young men. And if there are young men in your church who do not have a dad, pray about you being that guy. Because the men need the young men need to hear from us. So good, and more than ever, we have a generation of young men that are growing up without that yeah. advice from a father figure. So yeah. that's powerful stuff, man. So hey, we want to close with one last question. Okay. So we at the Man in the Arena here we define manhood as five things: protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. Which of these five resonates with you the most, and why? I would say right now finishing strong is resonating with me because I'm at a stage where I'm watching my kids perform at a high level and it's, it's pretty exciting to watch them in action. And I know that as they are performing at a high level, one of the things they're longing to keep hearing from me is, Hey, as your dad, I'm proud of you. Yeah. And as your dad, you can keep following. So so I'm at a point where I'm kind of cheering them on and I don't want them to look at me and say, well, we're running strong, but dad's like, he's backing off. Mm. So it's important to me to, to, to finish strong so that they can continue to have the sense of what dad taught me as a young man. He believes as he's getting older. Oh, that's good, man. Hey, how can our men in the arena pick up your resources or follow you on social media? So our website is love-wise.com. So the goal of our ministry is to connect love and wisdom because we believe when you apply God's wisdom to the, the love in your life, it flourishes. So love-wise.com and all the links are there or you can go get the, the app, Her Best Friend, 
Maybe the iTunes store or the Android Play store. And you can start loving your wife on a daily basis. I'll tell you what. Thank you so much today, Bill, for coming on our show, taking the time to share your wisdom, uh, your your candidness, your you saying the hard things and the hard conversations to really help our men in the arena and their women and their wives to really live as the best version of themselves. So thanks so much for coming on, sir. Well, God bless you guys, and thanks for the opportunity because when men focus their passions, they change the world. And I agree 100%. So, guys, you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Changing your world is the toughest thing you're ever going to do, but we're here to help you along your journey. So, guys, we want to ask you to do three things. Go enlist in our Men in the Arena resources that are free. Download our free app. Subscribe to the Man Card Podcast if you haven't already, and join the Men in the Arena Closed Facebook Forum for Men. We are a partnering ministry. So, guys, if our stuff isn't getting connected with you, there are a million other groups out there that are. Make sure you pick up Bill and Pam's book, Red Hot Monogamy. I'm telling you guys, it is a great read. If you're cheap and live in the Portland area, I'll let you check my copy out. I've already highlighted about 150 pages. So, guys, join us in building an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hunger to be the best version of you, then join the thousands of men around the country on our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called The Man Card Weekend with The Men in the Arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of Jim's new book, The Man Card, Five Characteristics Separating Men from Boys. This is the best book out there that defines what a man is and does. In it, Jim combines his master storytelling abilities with his no-holds-barred style, distinguishing between men and boys. If you want to keep your man card, then pick up a copy of this life-changing book today. Simply go to the Great Hunt for God app or mancardpodcast.com and pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to this episode, The Man Card Podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, join our army and become the best version of you. Get in the arena. Let the world feel the full weight of who you are. Grind it out. Be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.